Let's Get Growing is live streamed Saturday mornings on the Urban Gardener YouTube channel at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to come join us for all the great gardening conversations. Just plucked a cucumber for dinner tonight at Growing with Nathan, but you're watching The Urban Gardener with Enoch. Welcome, gardeners, to the Let's Get Growing Garden Show here on the Urban Gardener channel. My name is Enoch, and I'm your host today for our show. And thanks to all of you for your patience today as we've had to make just a little bit of a an adjustment here in order to uh make sure that we're all lined up for our feature guests that we've got here on the show today really excited we've got uh, cisco morris joining with us here in just a little bit for a fun gardening conversation here i've been a big fan of cisco morris for many many years and i'm really really excited to have him here on the show today and if you are joining with us here today whether you're watching uh, live with us or on our replay, be sure to click the like button there. Also, subscribe subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And uh, please share our channel and our show with all your garden friends and garden groups out there. Help uh, make sure everybody knows that we're out here having some really great, fun gardening conversations each and every Saturday here at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, also, be sure to check out our uh, website at letsgetgrowing.live, and you can uh, find out all about our upcoming shows and the different things that we have going on on the Urban Gardener channel. And, um, yeah, and if you have any have any questions or comments or anything like that, please be sure to get into our comments section here for the live show and uh, ask any questions that you might have, and especially some questions for our featured guest, Cisco Morris, today. And um, definitely ask all the questions you have. He's got a great amount of garden knowledge to share with us. And also, too, one way to support our show is to support our sponsor, Ivy Organics, and you can check out Ivy Organics at ivyorganics.com. They have a really great shop there and a couple of great uh, products. A three-in-one plant guard, I think, is awesome. If you have any fruit trees, any trees growing in your garden, something that you'll that are OW10 shopping percent off of all the different things that they've got there on ivy organics and um also uh just wanted to catch up with all of you here uh about uh different things that we've got going on on the urban gardener channel i do have a new video coming out tomorrow a new garden journal video and a couple of other videos in the coming week as well too Kind of catch up with some of the things that we've got growing on in our garden spaces here at home also our micro farm that we have growing over at my friend mike's place too everything's growing really well over there and we're planting out new things every day so i'm really excited about getting out into those spaces and sharing them all with you it's been a busy busy week for me here on the urban gardener channel because i've 
been asked to do a couple of different presentations that we uh, worked on this week. I filmed a presentation for the seventh annual Superfood Garden Summit, which is going to be uh, July 17th through 21st. And uh, they asked me to do a presentation on small space gardening. So we went out and filmed all of that this week and uh, shared a bunch of my tips and tricks and different, uh, you know, um, focuses for uh, growing in small spaces to make sure that you can optimize any sort of uh, garden space that you might have to be able to uh, grow all sorts of different things. And uh, so hopefully be able to check that out and i will remind everybody as we get closer to that summit about the that presentation also i joined with a friend of ours greg peterson who's also been a featured guest on our let's get growing show i um, did a uh, kind of a little panel discussion with him again on small space gardening answering a bunch of different questions for different viewers and listeners of his uh, urban farm podcast it's at the urbanfarm.org and um, it's a really great fun uh, podcast that he has there as well talking to all sorts of different people just as we do here and it was really great to get invited on with him to be able to talk all sorts of things again about our specialty what we focus on here on the urban gardener channel is a uh, more small space food gardening and um, it was a really great time and i will again to remind all of you when that comes up here uh probably this next month i think is when that will air as a podcast on his urban farm podcast channel there so lots of great things lots of fun things going on for us here besides all of the uh planting and gardening that we're doing here in our gardens there's just again busy busy time of year we've just passed our last frost date so it's time for us to get all of our warm season summer crops planted out into all of our different spaces so i've been kind of really kind of scurrying around all of the different places trying to make sure of getting everything that uh, i started from seed indoors hardened off ready and planted out into our garden spaces as well as a bunch of different direct seeding that we're doing as well with some of the different squash varieties that we're growing and uh and then we're also out planting and direct seeding some corn and squash and uh, different things over in our micro farm as well too so those will be some things that i'll update all of you on here on the channel uh coming up but uh for now let's take a look at what's going on where is it there for our in the garden segment we'll check that This week in the garden, as we're all out planting our plant starts and sowing our seeds, for most of us, the garden season is really underway. I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about plant spacing and cross-pollination, as there is a few things to understand when it comes to these subjects.
Now, one of the things I've got to get finished up in my back patio garden space here today is these carrots in one of my deep elevated raised beds. And also I've got some radishes in one of my lower beds here that I've got to thin out. And now I want to make sure that each one of these plants has the appropriate amount of space so that they can grow fully. And uh, what I do is I consult the back of my seed packet for each individual plant that I am uh, spacing out. But the one thing you want to be aware of is most of your seed packets are going to describe to you about traditional row gardening when it comes to spacing out your plants. And in a small space garden like I've got in my back patio, or even in most gardens, it, we don't really need to follow along with the traditional row spacing that your seed packets talk about. So they'll talk about having uh, so many inches between each plant, but then also it'll be a lot more space between each row. The only thing you really need to worry about when it comes to plant spacing for the individual plants that you're either thinning out or you're planting out transplants is where it tells you how far between each plant. So for carrots, for instance, you're looking at maybe just a few inches apart, and that goes for all directions. So I'll still do some rows when it comes to planting out the radishes and the carrots, but I'll make sure that those rows are just, a, just as far apart as what my ultimate plants are gonna be between each other, so in all directions. So if it's four inches apart, you can do four inches between each plant and four inches between each row. And that's a, a good way to be able to make sure that uh, you're getting in as many plants as you can with the space that you have to garden with. And again, I garden in this small space garden here in the back patio, and I'm looking to maximize every little bit of space that I can. So another thing to think about when it comes to plant spacing and making sure you're giving each of your plants enough room is to understand the different plants and the different varieties that you're growing and knowing what those plants are going to be when they grow to full size. Now that's where it's going to take a little bit of research or experience and understanding the full potential of each of the different plants that you want to grow in your garden. So highly encourage looking up and looking up online those different varieties and seeing about what size these plants are going to be because that's really going to help you out when it comes to how far apart you want these different plants. Now for example, I grow pepper plants. I grow a lot of different pepper plants and um, they are going to grow probably about three to four feet tall plus they're also going to get maybe about two to three feet wide. Now that all depends on the different varieties of peppers how the plant is actually going to grow but I kind of go with that as a guideline and then what I'm thinking about too is I want them to be close enough together to where they're barely just kind of crossing with each other but not creating too much shade for the overall plants that I'm growing. 
So I use with peppers about 12 inches apart. And again, that's the same as what I was talking about with the carrots and the radishes. That's in all directions. So my, 12, my rows are going to be 12 inches apart. My plants are going to be 12 inches apart as well. So it's really important to really understand the full-size potential of what your plants are going to grow into. You don't want to have happen like I've seen with a few friends that I've gone over to help them out with their gardens and seen that they've taken these small plant starts and they just put them in really close together, all sorts of different varieties of things because they're just small plants and they're not thinking about the fact that those plants are going to grow into these full-size plants later on down the road. So I've seen people put uh, tomato plants with just a few inches over, putting a pepper plant with a few inches over, putting in a squash plant or something like that where they don't really understand what that plant is going to grow into. So it's really kind of important as we're learning to garden to really dig into what each of these plants are going to do. You know, like I mentioned, squash plants are going to probably spread out if they're a viner and they're going to grow on the ground level and really spread out. So that's going to take up some good amount of space between plants. Peppers, as I mentioned too, I do about 12 inches in all directions and that's you know going to allow for all of these plants to kind of grow up together and kind of help support each other in the, in the space that I'm growing them in. Tomato plants, you know, are going to grow really big. If it's an indeterminate, they're going to keep growing up. So whether you're allowing them to vine out on the ground, which is similar to squash, they're going to take up a good amount of space, or you're going to have to have them staked or trellised so that they can grow in an upright vertical fashion. And that's going to help with spacing when it comes to those sort of plants. But again, there's so many things that we can grow in our gardens and we'll want to be doing the research in order to figure out what the full potential of those varieties that we're growing so that we can help make sure that they've got enough space in our garden to be able to grow. Also, one of the other methods out there that you can use that I do for most of my garden spaces here in my back patio in our alleyway is utilizing the square space gardening method. The square space gardening method just basically breaks down your garden into individual one foot by one foot squares. And uh, then you can look up again online just type in square space gardening method and whatever variety of plant that you're growing and you should be able to find some easy to use charts that'll show you just how many that you can plant into each one of those squares. And again, for small space gardening or even most gardens in general, the square foot gardening method is a really great way to make sure that you're getting the full potential out of your garden and the different things that you're growing and making sure that you're not leaving any space unused. So all right, now let's talk about cross-pollination for a moment. I'd like to clear up a couple of misconceptions that I see in garden groups and garden forums each and every year. There's a lot of new gardeners out there who are looking for information and sometimes I see this pop up every now and then when someone's asking about cross-pollinating peppers. 
can I turn my sweet pepper into a hot pepper? Well, technically that is possible if you cross-pollinate those flowers with each other. But the big misconception here is that a lot of people believe that if you're planting these two different varieties of peppers near each other, that that sweet pepper will turn hot this year. And that's not true. It's going to have to be grown out the next season from the seeds that you get in this year's fruit next year in order to find out what that cross actually done and what characteristics from those two different plants have combined together to form that new pepper fruit that you'll get the next season. Now cross-pollination across all sorts of different plants can work somewhat similar as long as they are the same type of plants. And this is another misconception. You can't really take a pepper plant and a tomato plant and cross-pollinate those together to create some uh, pepper-tomato hybrid. It just doesn't work. They're two different species of plants, so those two different species are not going to be able to cross with each other. So there's a lot of different crossing and a lot of different efforts towards making new varieties of different things, especially when it comes to pepper growers and the pepper community. But when it comes down to it, you can't cross-pollinate those and get a result this year. And that's the same thing when it comes to squash or melons or any other sort of thing that you're trying to cross. Now, one thing too to think about as well, especially like when it comes to plants uh, like uh, tomatoes, they are a self-pollinating flower. So those flowers really, just by shaking the plant, will cause uh, those flowers to pollinate. And you'd really have to take some effort to open up a flower and bring it to another plant's flower and really cross-pollinate those pollens with each other in order to create a new, say, tomato plant or tomato variety and similar with squash or melons. They have flowers which are male and female. So you would take a male off of one flower, put it onto a female of another variety of, uh, of that plant in order to try to create some sort of cross. But at that point, again too, you're going to have to grow out your fruit this year and then take the seed from it and then plant it out and grow that plant out next year in order to find out how that cross actually worked out. Now, I hope that's some good information and helps clear up those sort of ideas for you when it comes to cross-pollination. And I hope we've helped you out a little bit with getting your plants spaced out to where you can get the most out of your garden spaces. My name's Enoch, and thanks for joining with me here in the garden. And I'll see you all next week. All right, all right. Another little in the garden segment there for you, talking about uh, utilizing the most out of your small spaces, or in general, most spaces you can use that uh, square foot gardening method. I really use that a lot. I do a lot of container gardening, so you can really kind of think of. Uh, 
you know, uh, different containers of square feet and uh, some of the elevated raised beds that I use. I just break those down. And that really helps me out making sure that I'm getting the most out of my garden that I can. When you only got so much space, it's really kind of important to do. This week's featured guest on our Let's Get Growing program is Cisco Morris. Cisco is a well-known personality in the Pacific Northwest. He has been featured regularly on King 5 New Day Northwest, King 5 News, King 5 Evening, and he wrote a newspaper column for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer for uh, a long time, and uh, he also is the author of the books Ooh La La and Ask Cisco. And uh, in the Pacific Northwest, he gives over 50 garden presentations a year. Cisco can often be found working in his Northwest garden and um, also does uh, lots of different travel and leads garden tours in different countries all over the world. And uh, let's welcome Cisco Morris to our program. Hello, Cisco. How's it going today? Oh, la la. Hey, it's going great. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Awesome. Really great to uh, have you on the show with us this week. So how's everything been going there for you and your garden this year? Oh, it's been going great. I uh feels like I'm miles behind in my garden just because I've been so busy. But, you know, that's the, that's the biggest dilemma for any gardener. <laughs> just trying to keep up with it, you know. And uh, But uh, with all this heat, it seems like I'm spending more time watering than anything else. But that's yeah. kind of the way it goes. And some of the worst weeds are just having a heyday. That morning glory <laughs> is driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm telling you weeding is uh the bane of every gardener's existence for sure but uh yeah and i've got them all over the place i'm trying not to let them get to me too much but uh man you jeff you, you know i don't want to i've got some that i haven't gotten to yet and i can already tell that they're starting to form flowers and so i'm really worried i'm like ah i gotta get out there and i gotta get to these things before they start spreading all over the place even more yeah, yeah, you betcha. I, that's the exact same feeling I have. But uh, I and I just had a really great contorted filbert. It's red majestic. And when I got it, you know, the tag said resistant to the uh, filbert blight. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> so I've had that for a lot of years. It was a big, beautiful tree. I just had to dig that out and. Uh, but I got it out of feeling a vengeance, you know. <laughs> and then the the good thing is I got a now nah, I got that open space for something new and exciting. So I always love that. So yes, that is that's actually you know I I uh, most gardeners you know we just hate to see certain things go. You know you really kind of you know you put the time and effort into growing something into your garden space and then all of a sudden something happens to it you know i i've got a few plants this year that are just you know kaput they're not gonna you know they're not doing anything this year but 
moving and removing those plants and opening up that space to something new is kind of a whole new kind of reward to the whole having to let that other plant go right oh yeah you know my favorite place on earth is the nursery <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm always looking for something new and unusual you know i I want plants, so when people come over, they go, what in the world is that, you know? <laughs> so so half the fun's just going to be figuring out what to put there, you know? And uh, I'll be hunting around. I'll be going to some of the, you know, rare plant sources, and uh, I'll find something really cool for there before I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I love the nursery, too. And it, it is just amazing how many different varieties of plants and different things there are just when you think you you know you, you've got it figured out there's all sorts of other varieties that you know i just can't i just can't believe most things but there's nothing like taking a tour around the nursery even if there's you know you know even just to look at things that you might not even be able to put into your garden but uh you know just to you know kind of think about all the different possibilities well it's so funny i walk in the nursery and uh people people that work there run up and go i got something to show you <laughs> they they know that if there's something cool i'm gonna buy it i may not know where the heck i'm gonna put it but i'm gonna buy it <laughs> <laughs> i know huh? there's just some you just can't resist huh oh geez i just you know and uh, my goal in life is to have one of every kind of plant on earth in my garden before I die. I think I'm three away now, you know. <laughs> Only three. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about some of uh, your history, Cisco. You've been around in the Pacific Northwest gardening and sharing your passion for growing things for many, many years. Um, let's dig even further back. When did you get your first garden experience? Well, I gardened with my grandma and my mom when I was a yeah. kid. And I learned a lot from them. And then one day, uh, the church down the street, I didn't even go to this church started advertising they they were sticking signs on telephone poles and things they were looking for an assistant gardener and uh so i was 10 years old oh, and uh, i got the name cisco kid cisco because <laughs> i loved the cisco kid tv show and oh, yeah. i even wore this cool sombrero you know <laughs> so so uh, I told my mom and grandpa, I'm going to go get that job down there. And they were, oh, that's so cute, Cisco. Yeah, you go get that job. Nobody thought, you know, they're going to give a 10-year-old kid the job. Well, <laughs> the sixth time I went and harassed this poor priest in charge of hiring. <laughs> it's the first time I ever heard a priest swear. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just went all right you little blankety blank you got the job don't ever come in this office again <laughs> and uh so the, yeah. the the guy that that joel was sort of a caretaker for the church he was a gardener he did everything and i had to do i had to buff the floors and things a buffer was twice the size of me it would beat me against the wall instead of go back and forth but uh but Joe taught me all kinds of gardening and something happened to him in World War II 
And so because of whatever happened, he would not touch a poison for anything, no matter what. And so he taught me all these really great ways to garden without using poisons and really environmentally kind of work with nature instead of against it. So that job at that church was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, you know, plus I was quite popular by the candy machine in the YMCA because I got a dollar twenty-five an hour, you know. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, persistence pays off sometimes, right? Oh yeah, it really does. And you know, and I learned I learned things like how to prune hydrangeas from old Joe. And we had a big vegetable garden, you know, and uh grew big pumpkins and all kinds of great veggies. So yeah, it was a pretty cool job. I really learned a lot. You know, our weed control. Uh so old Joe would make a he'd have a big teapot and he'd heat the water up till it was boiling pour it in his tea, I'd have a big glove on, he'd hand it to me, I'd run out and pour it on the weeds in the cracks of the sidewalks. <laughs> oh. It smelled like steamed veggies and it worked like a charm. You, you had to move fast though, it had to be really hot to work. But, so that's one of the tricks I learned from Joe. Another really cool one was uh, we had those uh, flea beetles. And flea beetles, for anybody that's ever had them, you know them. They're little black beetles, but they got really powerful back legs, just like a flea. And so when you walk up to them, you know, they just go and jump off the plant that they're on. And they they chew the tweet a lot, little holes in potatoes and cucumbers, all kinds of things. And so they were quite a problem at the church in his big veggie garden. But uh, Joe had the technique down. He would actually, now you could use a different substance like, uh, you know, Tanglefoot. But in those days, uh, he would paint gear oil on a board and leave spots for my hands. And I'd come out there and sneak up on the plant really quiet. And at the last <laughs> second, I'd go, boo! And I love the looks on their beady little eyes when they got stuck to the oil on the board, you know. And uh, if I did that every morning for about two weeks, those flea beetles were gone. Usually a week is all it took to nail them, you know. Uh, now I do a different method where I stick Tanglefoot inside a, like a five-gallon bucket. And I just stick it over the plant and they go, and they're stuck no. so fast. Works like a charm, you know. <laughs> that's a that's a great fun method, especially for a young kid too. Huh? Oh, I After loved those. it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen similar things where you take uh like for um a lot of the uh soil bugs, especially like indoor plants, and, and you can get a lot of them from nurseries, but using like little yellow cards and putting Vaseline on them. So that you know, you oh, just yeah. put it in there, and those bugs just go right to that yellow and stick right to those cards. The scene yep. worked really well. Yeah, I, but yeah, I really like the idea. You know, you talked about and you, that you also learned that really uh, early on too is about utilizing uh, organic methods to uh, taking care of things in your garden because there isn't anything worse than you know 
and I don't know what it was really like back when you were first starting to learn about gardening and all of that, but you go into your big box stores or most of the garden centers and you get into these aisles just full of this poison. Oh, and yeah. You know, just big old bottles, all colorful and bright and appealing <laughs> to, uh, you know, new gardeners and all of that, too. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just I, I really wish that there was just a little bit more people like yourself and, uh, and that out there pushing back against some of that and uh, teaching and showing people how to uh, take care of their gardens organically without all of that, you know, crazy chemicals. Well, I worked on the commercial side of gardening. I went to horticulture school back in the early 70s. And uh, so uh, after I graduated out of there, I actually was the head pruner for a company for many years. But uh, when, they, we, when we didn't have a pruning job or they needed me to do some other kind of maintenance, I got sent with those crews and it was squirt first, ask questions later, you know, yes. um, on some of the stuff we used. Uh, it's scary to look back at Paraquat and, you know, uh, Diazinon and just, you know, blasting away with the stuff. So, yeah, yeah I, I'll tell you, I was, I never liked that. I never liked that idea of doing that. And, you know, now there's still more more stuff out there that I'd never touch in a million yeah. years. I think weed and feed is one of the worst that the uh, National Institute yeah. of Cancer has done. Two studies that found lymphoma linked to uh, using that lymphoma in dogs, you know. So right. I, I got two puppies. I love the way a lot of my puppies, you know. I so know. I'm not going to use that. And I, I got right. cat, I've got cats around my garden, so I'm a cat guy. You're a dog guy. Some people, you know, as crazy it is, are actually children people. Oh, yeah, <laughs> children. My children, God, you know. Right? And you're thinking if you about use weed and feed and let your kids out there rolling around. Oh my God. Yeah. Even yeah, at yeah. Seattle U, you know, I directed the grounds care at Seattle University for 24 years, and. Uh, you know, the administration wanted me to use weed and feed. They couldn't stand dandelions in the lawns, you know, and there's a lot of lawns on a big college yeah. campus. And uh, I just wouldn't do it. I saw those young people out there sunbathing yeah. on the grass and playing Frisbee and bare feet, and I just wouldn't do it. And uh, But an old-time gardener called my radio show and said, uh, haven't you ever heard about using vinegar to kill yeah. weeds? And I'm like, vinegar? I had no idea. We'd yeah. use straight white vinegar from the grocery store. We had backpack sprayers full of vinegar, <laughs> a long wand, and I duct tape a funnel on end. We'd stick it down over the dandelion. You remember in Over the Rainbow when the Wicked Witch got water squirted yeah. on her and she's going, I'm melting. That's what the weeds yell when you squirt. When I mean, if you listen closely, you can hear it, right? Yeah, it, I'll tell you, it had to be a hot, sunny day. But boy, when oh, we'd yeah. get out and do that weed killing, it worked so good. It would kill a little grass. We'd have to, you know, drop some seed. We'd punch holes so the seed were down in the soil, not laying on thatch. There's one problem with using vinegar for a weed killer, though. And that is if you got a hot date planned for that night, 
it better be someone that likes pickles because oh la la you're gonna smell like the world's greatest pickler for three days for sure huh definitely <laughs> that's great stuff. yeah and vinegar that's one of the things i use a lot of too and uh, i was actually just talking to a friend of mine who's taking care of trying to take care of all these weeds growing up out of his he's kind of got a gravel driveway you know? oh yeah and, and he's and he was telling me like you know he gets he's out there plucking and pulling these and his neighbors are coming around and everybody he talks to always suggests using roundup using yeah. this glyphosphates and all of that and i was like don't ever do that just don't do that just get yourself some vinegar and get out there and just spray the spray the tweedle out of them, right? Yeah, spray the tweedle out of it. it and boy, the hotter it is out, the better it works. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I'm not exactly certain why that is, but boy, have I noticed that on a on a 90 degree day, that weed's dead in two and a half hours. Unbelievable. Probably, probably just dehydrates yeah. the plant so much that it just can't can't uh, get to back to normal at, with all the heat but uh yeah definitely and again that's just you know one of the things i just you know i think i really enjoy about some of the things that i've learned from you over the years in fact that's one thing i haven't mentioned yet is i've been listening and following you since oh somewhere in the 90s i remember is when i first started wow. hearing you on on the weekend radio and seeing you on the television there in the in the in the seattle area i lived there for many many years and uh again just one of the things i mean i think when it comes to anybody if you talk to anybody in the pacific northwest is that uh, cisco morris is a regional treasure and uh, just an amazing amazing uh personality and you know when it comes to your passion for gardening that just really conveys you know i mean you, you can't walk away from listening to you talk about your plants and gardens without wanting to give a give it a shot yourself so that's kind of how i really got pushed into growing and doing things myself as well listening to a lot of the advice you give you know people are often surprised to hear who the host of my very first tv show was jeff oh. probst from oh. survivor yeah <laughs> he lived in uh Everett Washington and he worked at Boeing but he was taking acting lessons and his dad told him there's no way you're quitting this great job at Boeing to do this hokey garnet show look <laughs> what I did for his career I know <laughs> <laughs> you launched him uh, right up <laughs> yeah he's, he was a great guy really liked him a lot I haven't seen him for a long time but uh He's a great guy. Yeah. So, yeah. so how did that? I mean, so again, you mentioned actually just a just a moment ago that you were uh, a longtime uh, caretaker of the Seattle University Gardens and Lands. Um, so, is that where you started your career in uh, radio and television? Well, you know, I nobody's sure exactly how long I was on the radio because I didn't get paid at first All when I right. because uh, I took I took over after an extension agent uh, retired and it was really funny because uh, so he 
I a couple of times he hurt his back one time and I went in and took the show. And I have to say, I don't know so many times. I didn't know the answer <laughs> to somebody's question. So uh so when he quit, he uh recommended me to take his place on Cairo Radio. And I was a master gardener. I became a master gardener, I think, in 1980 or 81. And uh, so all my master gardener buddies are like, why did he pick you to do the radio? What's so special about you, you know? <laughs> so I was terrified of making a mistake. And I'll never forget on the eighth show. So, you know, you talk into a microphone, you listen through your earphones, and all you know is who's calling. That was all on the computer I knew. And you talked into the mic and so to, so, uh, and you hit the button of the phone line. So uh, I hit the button. I go, Mary from Renton, how are you? She goes, I want to wring your neck. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what did I do wrong? I was like, oh, no, I, I wanted to go. Oh, I lost her, but I, I, did. I said, what did I do wrong? And uh, she said, you told me to get wood chips to use as mulch in my garden. I said, you don't like wood chips? I think they're the best mulch you can get for so many reasons. Yeah. And uh, she goes, no, that's not the problem. She told me if you saw a guy working or a man or a woman cutting down a tree and sticking the big branches through the grinder. She said, tell him to drop him at my house. She said her husband was in taking a nap. He had a big business meeting in two hours. She came back four hours later and here is this 20 yard pile of wood chips <laughs> in the oh. middle of her driveway and her husband in her car are on the other side oh, going, where the heck did this come from? And uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, so I got my first radio show because I took the job of the extension agent. And since he didn't get paid, cause that was part of his job, I didn't get paid. Finally I did, but it took a while. My dad was yeah. always going, you should tell them to pay you, you know. I said, I'll get paid someday. Don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, but um, so th that's kind of taken over for George was part of, George Pinu was part of it. And then uh, uh, George also had a TV show on Cairo TV because Cairo TV and radio were together a long time. And yeah. uh, so uh when he had to, he decided to retire doing that he recommended me for that and uh it's really funny because the first day i had to do it this is live tv i'd never been on live tv i was terrified so uh, i i had I know how gathered is. up a bunch of bugs that i was going to show i think i had some ground beetles i was going to show you know and they're right super fast running so nobody even said hi to me I'm in the back getting ready to go on. Nobody's telling me what to do, how to get ready. And they go, you're on. I go out there. First thing that happens, my bugs escape. The oh, anchor my. woman I'm working with starts screaming and running around the set. <laughs> it ended up so funny. They loved it, the long run. And I ended up doing that for years and years. So every Thursday, I'd bring something in to show on live TV and so just things kept 
just kept building that way. And then my great buddy, Megan Black, that anybody that saw any of my old TV shows, she's just wonderful. She's the spokesperson for the Bellevue Police Department now. I oh, go out man. to breakfast. She's got like four radios and all this stuff. Oh. She might have to run out. But uh, she was, I met her at Cairo. She was the weather woman at Cairo TV. Then she went to King and uh, one day, I wasn't doing Cairo TV anymore. She calls me up and said, uh, hey, I'd like to come over and do a thing on how to protect your plants from cold. So yeah. she came over and we did a thing and it ended up hilarious. And <laughs> uh, she called me up from King and said, hey, I, the big bosses want you to come down here, you know? So, so I said, sure, I'll do that. And I went in the room with them and they go, uh, what do you think we want you to do? And I said, probably be on the new news giving garden tips. And they go, nope. They called Megan and they go, we want you two to do a show together. She almost fainted. She was like, what? I don't know anything about uh, gardening, you know? <laughs> she was really freaked out, but uh, we ended up just uh, inseparable buddies and had so much fun doing the show together. Just, we would end up laughing so hard. There'd be huge crowds around us everywhere we went. So, yeah, I was just lucky as heck to get her for a partner. It's just terrific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of those television spots are so, I mean, again, another thing, a, a testament of your uh, <laughs> just wittiness and 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 uh, passion for gardening and growing things. It just really, I love watching those. In fact, uh, if you haven't, I'll tell everybody who's viewing now or listening right now, if you haven't uh, seen anything that Cisco's done, get on YouTube and check out some of his television spots and things that he's done. It's just some really great stuff. I really enjoy it. And one of the other things, too, uh, that I've been uh, trying to get out and do more often, especially now that uh, our pandemic is over, is getting out to that Northwest Flower and Garden Show that... Uh, oh, yeah. Each year, I've, I, I mean, I went to a, a couple of years and seen a couple of presentations and finally got back to it this year and saw you again this year. And I tell you, you put on a really great garden talk. I think pretty much got standing room only in that big convention center room. <laughs> well, and you I know, people, I... it's really funny. I'll just say this. I'll tell people it's like, you know, you think you're going to go see a garden talk and you end up at a stand up comedy show with the whole <laughs> audience. I can't believe the audience just rolling in the aisles and laughing. You're just so, <laughs> it's just I've been so lucky, you know, I, I, I'm one of only two people that has spoken at every Northwest Flower and Garden show since it started, which I'm really honored to be. And yeah. uh, so I can never travel when that show's going because I got to yeah. be there, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it is really funny. And I've had so much fun giving talks there and, uh, you know, uh, also, I've been doing that container wars over the yeah. last few years. And, you yeah. know, so you have a contest who could do the best containers and they give you the plants and, and you know, so Richie Stefan, the guy from uh, uh, Great Plant Picks and I were usually challenging this year it was Nita Joe Roundtree and we both just cheated like mad. <laughs> I'd go all over to the vendors going, let me borrow this plant, you know, and I'd hide it underneath and bring it out. 
but the best <laughs> one I did that made me the big winner, his his container was twice as good as mine was. But I had gone around to all the vendors and I found the ugliest, most disgusting plastic gnome that this oh, vendor man. had for sale. So at the very last second, I stuck it in his container and I won. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was so oh, funny. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I, love I love those. The container wars are really great, really awesome. I, I watched you do one where you're running over, grabbing some from the other person, and oh, I'm going to use <laughs> this right. one. And <laughs> This year yeah. I brought this big rubber um, chewy pig. It's a big pig. It's a yeah. chewy thing for dogs, but my dogs were terrified of it because oh. it goes <laughs> really loud. Oh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I brought it in, and every time my opponent tried to talk, I'd be. <laughs> 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 You'll do so anything fun. for a win, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> you got to win. That's number one. <laughs> That's right. Got to be number one. Got to win. <laughs> But yeah, it's so great. And yeah, I just love that show. It's a really great uh, kickoff to the whole gardening season and everything and getting a chance to see so many different people who are, uh, um, you know, doing all sorts of different things in the gardening world and uh, lots of different authors and presenters and just so many things. Oh, and those showcases that they have. Isn't that some of the most amazing things that you see? Oh, I can't believe oh, yeah, how the they show put gardens together. And they have to do it in what two nights, I think. It, yeah, they have to put them together so fast. And I've been down there when they're doing it. You got to watch where you stand. There are forklifts whipping by, yeah, huge big, uh, all kinds of huge equipment and uh, <laughs> noisy as heck and. It, yeah, it's pretty amazing, but we're so lucky to have it. It's the second biggest flower and garden show in the country now. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty cool. I think, what is it? Philadelphia is the only bigger one. But I've talked to people. I've never been to the Philadelphia show. I've talked yeah. to people. They say ours is better. Oh, so, yeah. of course it is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I've been there. I know. Well, I haven't been to the Philadelphia one either, but... Uh, but uh, I know that the Seattle Garden Show is just a really great experience. Um, I also, one of two shows I try to make sure I go to every year, uh, you know, barring what, again, the break that we had with the pandemic and everything is also really love the uh, National Heirloom Exposition that they have down in California as well, too. That's just another really great gardening. And uh, especially for those of us who really center a lot of our gardening and growing food, you know, so it's one of those uh, yeah. really great, great festivals, too. So to me, my top two, Seattle's Flower and Garden Show and the National Heirloom Exposition. Those are really great shows that you've got to go check out and go see because you get to see so many really awesome people like uh, Cisco and other great gardeners. Um, someone we got to coming on the show here in a few weeks as well, too. I met up at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, uh, Christy Wilhelmy. She wrote a book called Garden Variety, which I think is a really great book. It's actually a fiction book on uh, uh, that kind of centers around gardening and community gardening. Wow, really that's awesome. I'll have to look that up. 
you've got to check it out. Really great book, a really great read and just kind of a different way of being able, because it's full of like little tips and, and things as well too, about, you know, uh, taking care of things in a, in a garden and everything, but it's all centered around a fictional story of this uh, community garden down in the Los Angeles area. I think it's really great. So I'm really excited about getting to interview her and talk to her about her book. Now I do have one of your books here. This one I've had around for quite a while here. Ask Cisco, where you get to ask uh, or, or you answer a bunch of different really cool questions that uh, people have asked you over the years. And um, also you have the book uh, Ooh La La as well too, right? That you just wrote back yeah, in 2020. So, so Ask Cisco actually was the number one selling gun book in the United States for a while which was yeah. so exciting for me. And my new book, <laughs> Oh La La, they wanted me to write the same book over again with new questions, but I didn't want to do it. So we negotiated. They finally let me write a very unusual gardening book. It's short stories. They're true stories from yeah. my gardening career, and they're supposed to be super funny. All yeah. I could tell you is I laughed my head off when I wrote it. <laughs> and if you suffer from insomnia, 10 minutes at bedtime takes care of everything. So, yeah, they're short stories about gardening. They're real fun. So, uh, yeah, it came out right when the pandemic started, and I had 30 book signings have to cancel. Oh, that was uh, tough. But you know yeah. what? That's life in the big kitty. You go with what you got, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of a big interrupter for all of us who really like oh. to enjoy and get out and do things and all of that. But one big benefit of that, I think, too, and I've had a couple of discussions with people, too, is that, you know, that kind of, you know, as people were more at home and doing things and kind of centered around their house and all of that, I think a lot of people ended up walking away from the pandemic with a new appreciation for gardening and growing things and being able to get outdoors too. So I think if there was any sort of benefit out of all of that was probably creating more gardeners and it's, spreading it's that. So funny. Growing. So I, I spent a lot of time in my garden. My garden never looked better than during the <laughs> pandemic, you know. Yeah. But uh, everybody in this neighborhood knows who I am and knows my garden. You know, it's a pretty cool garden. So yeah. half the world was walking by while I was doing, I'd be doing 20-minute seminars. On <laughs> People just stood far apart. <laughs> And it yeah. so it kept me really active and it made fun for them. And uh, just so the pandemic for me was actually a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I have a very similar situation for me. My gardens and where I grow outside is really kind of open to everybody. I don't really have like closed fencing that closes off everything. And I've got these alleyways that people walk down through all the time. And I had a very similar situation uh, going for me when it was uh, the pandemic time was a lot of people because again, people are out walking and they're out doing things because, you know, there isn't much to do, you know, and so I had a lot of people cruising through our garden spaces and just asking all sorts of questions and, and uh, getting to do the same thing, kind of do these little garden seminars with everybody. <laughs> it's so fun talking gardening, you know, that's, oh, I... 
dogs and gardening and cats i've had a lot of cats too <laughs> cats always rule the roost that's all i know they they not only boss the dogs around they boss us around i actually read that if they were twice as big as our house cats are now they'd eat us so <laughs> 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 yeah. I'll tell you, you know, that's one of the things also is, is I was going to say is that, uh, you know, you see somebody out gardening and they've got a really cool big garden in their house. You got to watch out when you stop them and ask them a question because you'll be standing there for a while. <laughs> yeah, you will. You get, no us, thought about you that. get one of us gardeners getting us a chance to talk about the things that we're growing. We're going to hold your ears for a while. <laughs> you hit that on the head. <laughs> so be careful when you're passing by a really nice gardener and that guy's outside. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's, you know, one of the things that, um, on my channel, the Urban Gardener channel, is we talk a lot about, uh, you know, growing our own food and food gardening. And I know you do a lot of specialized gardening when it comes to even landscape and all that sort of stuff. But I know you grow some food as well, too, in your gardens. Is there any sort oh, yeah. of, any sort of, well, I, I think I know the answer to this, too, but any sort of favorites that you have well, that you grow in your <laughs> garden? Because I know I'm you have famous. a lot of favorites. I'm definitely famous for loving Brussels sprouts. And yes. some of that is because every couple I meet, one person loves them and one hates them. My wife calls my Brussels sprouts my little boogers. So she's not <laughs> fond of them. They're hard to grow, by the way. They like they, they like sun, but they don't like heat. They're tricky. Yeah. And you got to get the right varieties if you don't. They're not just never going to ripen up. And, uh, you know, even though you want them to get hit by a freeze, they, they got to get big enough before the end of the season or you're out of luck. But um, I right now out in my garden, I got this from the famous gardener buddy of mine named Dan Hinckley. He gave me some wild arugula. And I don't know where he got this stuff. And my it is the strongest arugula I've ever had. And I love arugula so much. And uh, it's just, it's like a ground cover in my whole veggie garden. It kind of gives weed control, you know, it oh, grows yeah. so fast. And even as fast as I can eat it, I'm giving it to everybody, you know, and you give one little piece to somebody and it grows. So, uh, so I'm really into that. And of course, I always grow tomatoes. Oh my God. Yeah. And stew peas is probably my favorite tomato. I just love it. It's so doggone good tasting. But uh, oh, and sun gold. It wins oh, every yeah. blind taste test I do, never yeah. fails. And I used to have straight sideburns till I bit into a sun gold tomato on a hot sunny day right off the vine. My sidebirds have been curly ever since. It's nothing you could do about it. Oh, so good. So I'm always trying all kinds of new types of tomatoes. I like Berkeley tie-dye a lot. Mm -hmm. And I find in my house, I always grow a lot of cherry tomatoes because you yeah. never know if it's a lousy summer, I might not get those heirlooms to ever ripen up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So 
uh, you know, I, I love some of the big old heirlooms, but I've been disappointed and made too much chutney at the end yeah. of the season. <laughs> so, uh, but... Yeah. Um, that was I'm, kind of a challenge and, uh, for me this last year was the tomatoes. And for me, I live down in Southern Oregon, and uh, we've just been getting some, I mean, amazingly hot, hot summers. And, you know, some tomatoes as well as peppers, you know, those sort of things love the sun. They're sun-loving plants, but they only like it to a certain amount. You get up in those high 90s and early 100s, which we saw really persistently a lot this last year. Those, you know, those uh, tomato plants are just not, you know, the flowers are falling off before they even get to, you know, form, uh, you know, form any fruits and everything. So I had very limited growth. I did have a couple of varieties i think one was called a big red chief and then i also had a purple variety too uh, a darker variety that did all right throughout the summertime but for the most part most of those you know those heirlooms and those bigger tomatoes just weren't you know weren't making it and uh ended up having again to rely on all those cherry tomatoes i was growing yeah those guys come through <clears throat> it yeah. seems like no matter what you always end up getting a ton of those. I one I I grew last year for the first time. I've read about it, but I never I don't know. I never bought the seeds to try it. It was called Glacier, and they're little. They're good sized cherry tomatoes. I was eating cherry tomatoes on July fourth out of my garden last year. Oh wow! I couldn't believe it. It's a really tough tomato. Can take the cold. Got a little yeah. roasted in some of those hot days too, you know. People don't know that peppers and tomatoes can can get uh, sunburned. Yeah, <laughs> and you're right; yeah. the flowers fall off. It's terrible. Yeah, they just yeah. Once it gets too hot, you know, that's the thing. Again, you know, most people think of uh, think of those plants as big sun loving plants. You want to have them out in the direct sun for, you know, for uh, most of your day, but. Um, you know, they, it gets so hot, it gets too hot for them as well at times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, another problem I've been noticing, and I've been getting a lot of emails from people about it, is uh, zucchini. So yeah. zucchini grow about four inches, the fruit, and then they yeah. rot. And people are like, yeah. what's going on? And it's no bees. We don't have bees going from the male flower to the female flower. Remember yeah. in the old days? You'd be in the house, somebody'd ring the doorbell, you'd go out, open the door, no one's there. You'd look to the side, and there are six four foot long zucchinis laying on your porch. <laughs> That's a drive by zucchini in, you know. I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> Have you done that? I can I've tell. I you look so mischievous sometimes. <laughs> I've actually done that. I, whether it's zucchini or other extras in my garden, some of my neighbors will find them right out in their front porches. But <laughs> another thing I like, another thing I, I think is really funny about uh, like zucchini and those sort of things is like you said, you'll see them at like four inches. And then you go, okay, well, I'll just go and I'll harvest that tomorrow. You know, you wait till tomorrow and then you pull out this big old, it's like this big oh. now. They grow so fast. It's oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I've I, you end up making zucchini cake, zucchini bread. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, so I hand pollinate them now. Sure. Yeah, oh. 
Yeah, and that was yeah, the thing I've got... recommend too. You know, if you're not if you're not seeing the pollination working, or if your plants are just, you know, not making it, you know, that's the best way to do it, especially with squash and and those sort of uh, plants like that that have the both the male and the female flowers. Yeah, so to, you know, get down there and made them together yourself and uh, kind of ensure that you're going to get something out of yeah, it. Yeah, you could tell the female flower has that little zucchini under it. The mm. male doesn't. And I find a male mm. can uh, pollinate five females. with They got enough pollen on them to do that. And then, uh, but yeah. uh, the other trick I do, I plant uh, lavender around my veggie garden and in my veggie garden. Yes. Or does that bring in the bees? So good oh, thing yes, to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything like that. I, I also have I have some uh, oregano that I grow kind of like um, it's kind of in between a couple of different garden beds that I have, but it's really close to my back patio garden. And that's when the, when you let that get up and go to flower as well, like the lavender, the bees just go crazy. Oh, over yeah, it. they love but, that stuff. But then I'm encouraging them to get out into my patio there and, and uh, also check out all the other flowers as well, too. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, these are important, aren't they? Oh, boy. Yeah, they're so important. And, uh, you know, I raised mason bees for years, but then they got that mite problem so bad. You know, you'd yeah. see, a, see a mason bee come out. And it was so covered with mites, it would land on the ground. It just broke my heart. They couldn't even fly. They were too heavy and bit up by the mites. And, you know, and, and uh, you could, uh, so I started self-cleaning them a lot, you know, using yeah. bleach. I just got tired of it and stopped doing it. And I'm not, I'm still getting pretty good fruit, but not as good as I used to with the mason bees. Now you can rent them. There's people that... Rent them out, and then you take them back. They do all the cleaning and everything. So I think I'm going to try that next year. Renting out your bees? Yeah, <laughs> you could actually rent basic bees and then uh, take them back to the guy. He cleans them. It's a great deal. Well, that's a yeah. I have to look into that. That looks like a uh, an interesting thing to do. I've always wanted to just get my own beehives. I've just been fascinated with bees. I would love to have my own beehive and collect my own honey and all of that too. That's one of those things down the road, hopefully. I'll yeah. To do. Yeah. I think yeah. that would be fun too. I've, I've done like TV shows with bee growers and everything. There was a really yeah. cool restaurant. I can't remember downtown. They had beehives up on the roof and they oh, had wow. vegetable gardens up there and it was really cool. So yeah. yeah, I think raising bees would be a lot of fun. It's, you know, there's just not enough time to do everything there is to do out in the garden. That is, that is my bi my biggest limitation, right? Especially when you grow so many things and do so many different projects, you know, it's hard to kind of keep all that together and everything. All right, let's see. I wanted to dig into, you know, I was looking at the back of your uh, Ask Cisco book here, and I thought you had a great question here. I'm going to ask a couple of questions of you here. Can I sure. grow an apple tree in a pot on the deck of my condo? Now that kind of goes for not a very easy. You couldn't. <laughs> you no. could, you know, one of these. Uh, what do they call those? Real narrow. Um, I can't think of what they call them. Real narrow apple trees that don't really branch out, and they're yeah. they're pyramidal, and they form fruit on that. I think. In a big enough pot, you could do that pretty easy. 
But yeah, uh, yeah. even a dwarf apple tree would be pretty tough to grow in a pot. It would get root bound so fast. Yeah. So they don't, you don't. So in containers in general, though, you don't think you're getting the best out of a, would it be just generally apple trees or any other varieties or fruit trees in general? Oh, I grow, I grow some of those dwarf, these new dwarf figs, Little Miss yeah. Figgy, and yeah. uh, what's the other one? Little Miss Ruby, I think. And um, so I'm, I'm growing one of those and that's doing really good in a pot. So, because uh, it's slow enough growing. Now, how long it'll stay happy in that pot? Because it's only the size of a whiskey barrel. Because, you know, I mean, how much room do you got for, you can't, you can't put them in a, uh, what do you call a hot tub or something. <laughs> you got a lot of room. So, but uh, those figs do real well. You can move them into the sunniest spot you got, which is what they want. Yeah. So I'd say that I've grown the dwarf, um, uh, peaches and nectarines in pots, they yeah. did great. The problem with the dwarf peaches and nectarines, they're all susceptible to that doggone peach leaf curl. And yeah. uh, so you got to remember to spray in the middle of winter, which is so hard to remember to do. So I always said would end up getting peach leaf curl. They were the cutest little plants and the peaches and nectarines were delicious. But if you yeah. didn't spray, they just got massacred by the, so I got rid of those after a while too, but I had them for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I, generally I can't imagine too many fruit trees, but the, the exciting thing right now is all these new fruiting shrubs that they're, yeah hybrid just to grow in pots. So I just planted, uh, I just showed it on TV. I don't think it's shown yet. Um, baby cakes. So <laughs> baby cakes mm -hmm. is a blackberry. Oh, wow. Never gets more than four foot by four foot. Doesn't grow like a blackberry out in the wilds. It grows as a round bush. Oh, wow. And uh, all you do is prune off anything that dies because after they bloom, Pretty soon that dies, you prune that off and never prune it down or anything. And now nah, this is the first year I'm growing it, but it's yeah. already filled with uh, the fruits already done. I mean, the flowers and fruits already starting to form on this thing. Oh, wow. It's supposed that to, is pretty early uh, too for a blackberry. Oh, that's early. It's supposed to fruit twice a year. So we'll wow. see if it does, but I'm all in a tizzy over that. And of course, I've grown some of those dwarf raspberries in there and yeah. uh i've got blueberries out there in pots all over the place oh, you know yeah. and they're they're just great and like blueberries you're really best off if you do two different varieties because you know then they cross and you get bigger better berries you know yeah so yeah definitely yeah. i've got uh big like i, I got uh several uh blueberry plants in these big storage containers that i that i have to give them nice big room to do that and then also one of the keys for blueberries is making sure you're using some acidic uh soil and uh and uh fertilization as well get a you know something that's good for acidic plants to help with that yeah well. i use organic roadie food for yeah. my uh and and oh man they just love it i get so many berries or should i say the birds Get so many bears. Have you ever you found cover them up a little bit? 
trying to cover them once the berries are on there you knock more berries off than the birds can eat <laughs> so i i think if i were going to do a real blueberry patch i would uh now i have done what i do is i put in uh bamboo stakes and i put the bird netting over those and that way you don't knock off all the doggone berries. But I would build a permanent structure over blueberries with screening that you could just walk in there and harvest and the birds would go nuts. You'd get attacked by the robins when you walked yeah. out of there. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard to cover blueberries, I find, but um, I yeah. get enough of them, I'm happy. And, yeah, you yeah. know, it's true that blueberries are really good for night sight. That oh, yeah. the, uh, in uh, World War II, the Spitfire pilots had to eat a great big bowl of blueberries every day oh, wow. for their <laughs> night sight. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I have read that blueberries are like one of the number one superfoods for sure. Oh, they're so good for you. That's why I'm so buff and good looking. It's from eating yes. those so often. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really, I'm really intrigued though by that blackberry, like you're talking about. I'm gonna have to find out what was the name of that blackberry again. Baby cakes. Baby cakes. Baby yeah, cakes. And that. it, it looks like it's starting to already form fruit. It's like, and uh, awesome. it's not the prettiest plant you've ever seen, like all blackberries. Right. But they say that it gets it's they ripen up not all at once. So you got yeah. red ones, black ones, you know, yeah, so yeah, uh, in all different stages. Yeah. yeah. For us though, who you know live in the Pacific Northwest, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, seek out and look for uh blackberry plants and all of that. But for us, they're wild everywhere and they get you know, they're very invasive and they can oh you know, people can hate them. Yeah, yeah, they can be over. Is for such a delicious berry. Yeah, they could be such a nuisance for a lot of people. So I'm really intrigued with the idea that they can be contained into a container. That's just really yeah, and uh, and they're thornless too, which thornless is really nice. As well, oh wow, yep. even but, better. <laughs> but I should tell a little story here about how I got rid of blackberries at SU, because at oh, yeah. Seattle University, <clears throat> we owned vacant lots that the yeah. school had bought at some point and uh i had to walk by this vacant lot that no one knew who owned to get to this va guidance center that we did own and i would do the gardening there one day the guy came out and he had a big rip in his pants and he went those blackberries next door because they were on both sides of the sidewalk 20 feet high somebody had made a tunnel that you could walk through so the guy yeah. came out and said, can you do something about those blackberries over there? And I said, this is not my problem. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> else owns that lot. I said, I'll find out who owns the lot. Call, I'll squeal on them to the city. And the city will make them come clean it up. So uh, I figured out mm -hmm. the address. I called the city. I told them this guy's not, whoever owns this is not taking care of this lot. You know, it's just full of blackberries. Two days later, I get called into the office. My boss goes, someone just squealed on us for a vacant lot we own. You got to clean it up. I'm like, oh, la, la. <laughs> so, uh, so, I, so at first, I, we use no herbicides at Seattle U. You know, we use some black 
you know, we use some, uh, uh, what do you call it, vinegar, but, you know, we weren't going to use enough vinegar to do this whole huge lot. So I got, yeah. I got lead chaps and we cut it down with a weed eater with a blade. It was scary work. Got it all out of there. Oh. It was one of the most miserable jobs I ever did. But I only cut it to six inches. Started growing back so fast you couldn't believe it. Oh, City yeah. started getting on my case. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go spray it. So I asked the woman that worked for me who mowed the grass in the off-campus lots to go yeah. get, take our worst mower and go mow the blackberry just to give me time to figure out what to do. She mowed it. Uh, I didn't do a thing. So two weeks later, because she mowed every two weeks, she oh, went my. back, mowed it again, mowed it again. By the end of summer, no more blackberry. That mowing it every other week killed all the blackberry. It's a woody plant. It couldn't make yeah. enough strength. And she kept oh, mowing it lower and lower. It got replaced by this grass and weed type lawn that stayed green way better than the campus lawns that we were watering. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, if you ever have to get rid of blackberry, if you mow it every other week, it just does it in. And uh, at Seattle, you, uh, we built this new athletic field. And most of the time, I designed the landscapes. But if it was a huge project, they'd have a landscape architect design it. And I'd write yeah. the specs of what I wanted and didn't want. They put ivy in all, all these beds around this athletic field, which is so invasive and horrible. So yeah. uh, I started thinking, I wonder what would happen if we mowed that every other week, <laughs> got rid of the ivy just like that. We only had to dig yeah. it out where the mower couldn't go. Same with a blackberry. So if you ever got to get rid of something, a woody weed, that's yeah. a great way to do it. Found out totally by accident. But I took credit for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the, the ivy was similar. The blackberry is just not able to form that wood. Yeah, just couldn't make keep... enough food. It got yeah, replaced yeah. by this kind of natural lawn, which we took out and put in a ground cover. But it worked. Yeah, yeah. And in the sense, if you can't mow it, probably just the idea of uh, just cutting back, making sure you're cutting it back to ground level. Yeah, Is you'd that, have to do it a lot. It would be tough, but yeah, yeah, it might work. But boy, you'd be doing it a lot. Where the mower is so easy and quick, you know. Just yeah. Well, I just say I've got this space that there's no real place to put a mower in there to get to it. But we keep getting blackberries that are popping up, so I'm just wondering if maybe I'm. I think if you keep cutting them every time. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it would. I never tried that, but I you just got to stay on top of it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's see here. I did ask one of my groups uh, to see if they had any questions for you here. I'm going to see here. We've got Krista Gilbert asked, what's the best advice that you have received? Hmm. Tough well, question I think here. I think one that I think was really great advice uh, came from Seattle University. So <clears throat> Seattle University, when it was early on in its landscaping, was done by a combination of an old priest and Fujitaro Kubota. 
And the Kubota Garden's real famous in Seattle, and Kubota did a lot of great landscaping. And uh, when he came to the United States from Japan, he actually went around to some of the most famous pines in Japan and took seeds off those, brought those seeds in 1906 to the United States. Most yeah. of the pines at Seattle U were from the seeds in his pocket he brought in 1906. So they were really beautiful. So even though I had been a professional pruner and I had pruned, uh, you know, Asian type plants and things, I really wanted to know how to do it right. So yeah. I, Fujitaro had died by the time I was at Seattle U, but his son, Tommy Kubota, who was in his 80s, uh, was still around and a really neat guy that I became friends with. Yeah. So I'd invite him to Seattle U and I'd pay him for a consultation to help me learn to really prune pines really well. And yeah. uh, his best advice to me, he had two advices. He said, you got to be super patient if you're doing, uh, you know, an Asian style pine that you want almost to look like a bonsai out in your garden. He said, you have to be super patient. You can't expect to make a tree uh, look like you've been pruning it for 20 years in one year. Yeah. And uh, his main advice to me was no triple espressos at uh, <laughs> Starbucks before I prune that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just hold back a little bit, right? Just yeah, back yeah. You gotta, gotta calming me down is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> you like the triple espressos, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, those that gets you going. You could do some pretty fast pruning after one of those. <laughs> Definitely being from Seattle too, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You love your kidding. coffee. Oh, there's it's one cute. on every corner, I swear. <laughs> Not hard to find. All right, let's no. see here. I got another question from Jesse Robbins asks any thoughts on how You've seen climate change alter the various flora and fauna in the area. So have you noticed you know, yourself, a, uh, you know, differences and how you're gardening, you know, f over the years based on yeah, climate I, change? Well, I've, I've noticed two things because yeah. the climate is so erratic. Like you said, how it was in the hundreds. Yeah. We got that heat dome, uh, you know, and we hit 111 degrees at my house. And uh, that was yeah. so bizarre for Seattle, just unbelievable. Yeah. And um, so <clears throat> what I've seen is it's two things. As a general rule, I could grow things that weren't hardy that are starting to survive in Seattle. So uh, crinodendron is a super rare plant with these great red lanterns that comes from Chile. And I, I started being able to grow that out there. And there were salvias that normally, Amistad, for instance, normally died every winter that started surviving more. So as we slowly warmed up, I think Seattle really kind of went from uh, zone seven towards zone eight quite a bit. So yeah. in a way, I could grow more things. At the same time, this erratic, uh, temperature changes and everything we're having 
is killing plants. So the last two winters, and I'll bet it's been the same for you, have been so cold. And uh, so uh, all the salvias in my garden didn't come back. I couldn't believe it. They've always come back, except for salvia hot lips, because that guy's a tiger. But mm-hmm. most of them didn't come back. And uh, my hardy fuchsias made it, but they barely made it. So so I'm seeing it's going both ways. It's, it's making it so you can grow things you didn't used to be able to grow. And then it's murdering them. <laughs> after a couple years when we get erratic weather so yeah 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 definitely and that's similar for me what i've seen down here in southern oregon as well over my time gardening is all of these different kind of you know we just got to be a little bit more prepared for earlier summers you know and uh making sure that we're you know keeping our plants protected and shaded a little bit more is kind of uh, kind of some of the strategies again going back to those tomatoes that we talked about earlier. Yep. You know, is just you know trying to utilize some of these maybe some shade cloth or some things like that to hopefully help out with uh, too much intense direct sun. But you can't really get past the overall heat, you know. And yep. uh, and like I said, like you said, yeah, I, we had a couple of days of nearly 115 degrees in a row Ooh. for us down here, and oh, not geez. much. And not much cooler, you know, on either end of those as well, too. So, you know, that intense heat can really be something for the garden. Just got to make sure you're, you know, trying to keep your plants taken care of the best you can throughout that time, you know, making sure they don't dry out is the biggest thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watering in the morning. If you know the heat dome's coming, water in the morning. And, uh, you know, there's usually you got leeway. You put a hydrangea in too much sun. Usually you can get away with it. But with this erratic temperatures, if you got a hydrange out there in full sun or a rhododendron, it's going to cook. You're going to pay the yeah. price for that. So follow the tags advice more than you used to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. You know, definitely if you're looking to try to, you know, hold back from some of the detrimental things that can happen through that and see just a little bit more success out of what you're putting into your garden you know you want to be aware of you know some strategies to help out with uh, those hottest parts of the year and let's see here i had one other question for oh yes this question is from karen hoog who actually I had on our program uh, several weeks back, she's an author of a book called Leaf Your Troubles Behind, where she uh, talk, she talks about all sorts of different strategies and ways to utilize uh, growing gardens and, and, uh, in those, and growing things in order to alleviate stress in your day-to-day life. It's just a really great book I recommend for everybody. But I think I met her. And uh, but uh, if I saw her, I'd know for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she was really great. We had a really great conversation about all those sort of things. I think that gardening and de-stressing is one of the biggest benefits that I get out of the garden, too. You know, I always find myself so much happier leaving and finishing my gardening chores than I was when I started. So it is a big thing. Same here. That's the nicest feeling being out there working in the garden. Just uh, it's a little hard to get up these days after you've been <laughs> yeah. on your hands and knees for too long. But uh, yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Karen, thanks for asking. Well, um, yeah. 
She says, got... Cisco is the sweetest, and are you working oh. on a new book? <laughs> well, uh, I kind of started a hummingbird book, so I may, that might be my next book, and that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, my publisher would love it if I'd write that, but yeah. what I want to write is uh, <laughs> short stories from my life, but not garden short stories, just short oh. stories. So okay. during the pandemic, I started writing them. I've got a bunch of them. I got to edit the live and tweet a lot of them, you know, but uh, <laughs> but my publisher just went, no way. <laughs> We're not going to do it. You could get someone else to do it. But they said, people like your books because they're garden books. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got to uh, hopefully, you know, it's for me, writing a book is really difficult, not because I'm not okay at writing every because i wrote for uh 17 years for the pi and the times and yeah. um you know and i still write for the bellevue botanical garden and some other groups but uh the, the problem for me when i write a book is you got to stick your hinder in the chair and leave it there but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i want to get out to the garden and yeah. i walk uh 12 8 to 12 miles a day so uh oh, yeah. you know to get time to write a book and do all the other things take care of this you know quite complicated and tremendously fun garden i have uh it's hard to take the time to write a book so i think i'd like to write another one but maybe maybe this next winter i'll really get to work and if they really want me to do hummingbirds i'll probably do hummingbirds which will be a lot of fun so yeah be yeah. fun to write What's uh, what's some of your favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite hummingbird? Oh yeah, well I've got a bunch of them hanging around here. I got this yeah. Rufus in our garden right now. <laughs> it chases me out of the garden. Right. It, it goes to this old man fountain I have out there, and yeah. uh, it's a really cool old fountain that's got a old man's face. It's huge, and it spits right. water three and a half feet down to a basin below. Yeah. And all the birds come and take baths in his mouth where the water comes out and everything. It's really fun to watch. But there's one, there's actually two Rufus hummingbirds come. They drink the water right where it comes out of his mouth and then oh, ride yeah. it all the way down to the basin drinking the oh, water. Really? It's so funny, but don't <laughs> laugh at a hummingbird, whatever you do. <laughs> I was back there with a friend and we were watching him drink the water. Yeah. We're walking out the narrow trail. One of those, that little Rufus hummingbird hit me right in the ear. Then oh it sat God. in front of me going, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I won't laugh. So don't <laughs> laugh at a hummingbird, whatever you do. Yeah, 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 for sure, right? There's so, for oh, sure. Man, I'm telling you, there's part, there's few things that are so intimidating than something so small that can literally hover in front of your face with that pointy beak. Like it could just stick you at any moment. Well, yeah, mine, mine, that Rufus is saying, turn that fountain on. I turn it off at night because the raccoons get in it sometimes, which drives yeah. me nuts. And uh, so I sometimes I'm a little late getting out there to turn it on. The uh, hummingbirds are hanging around going, turn that on now. They're just hovering around me. You know, they, they want yeah. that water. <laughs> I I remember one time I was we were I was hiking with a few friends we were out on a trail and we 
all three of us instinctually just kind of ducked and got down as we heard this noise that you just wouldn't believe. It sounded like something was flying. I mean, and it ended up being just this little hummingbird, but it was cruising right past us and just made the loudest sound with that, with those wings and the way they fluttered. And uh, I mean, we did, we, we were like, what in the world is that? We couldn't tell. And then all of a sudden this little hummingbird flies right by us. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so funny you probably all looked at each other like oh geez no, yeah i could not believe and again it was out there it was probably echoing off of some things you know so there's probably some echo going on but it it was so loud and i couldn't believe oh, it you know so we i believe all, it and it sounded like it was coming right for our heads too so we were it all probably up. was too, all you know? too. yeah and then this hummingbird just cruises by and we all just kind of felt so silly and laughed about it, the whole thing because it was, we thought something was really about to take our head off. We're so lucky because hummingbirds only live in North and South America, no other continent on earth. And uh, oh, wow. they live in, uh, you know, some of the islands, you know, but yeah. um, no, no other continent on earth has hummingbirds and you know, I lead garden tours around the world and have friends yeah. all over the world. They are so jealous of our hummingbirds. They oh, are yeah. so cool and fun to watch. They it's just cool. amazing. Just the way they maneuver around is just so, yeah, these little, these little tiny pilots just cruising around like, you know, like you see some of those, uh, they have those drones now. They can yeah. get these people fly these little camera drones all over, but these birds just do all that stuff themselves. And they are so, so fascinating. Oh, they're fascinating. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, the first ones I actually, and I don't grow too many things that I think that attract them very often, but I grew this last year, some pineapple sage. Oh, they love that. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Well, you get that. Those flowers start forming on the pineapple sage those hummingbirds are just all over getting in there. Well, my wife and I divide the garden because she's a great gardener. And yeah. every time we try to garden together, it's the neighbors see our hands and feet in the air at the same time. Oh, no, <laughs> garden wars again. So we had yeah. to divide the garden into his and her gardens, you know. But yeah. we're both so into hummingbirds and have so many hummingbird plants. I never feed them. They're all right. fed all even all winter with plants that are in bloom. Yeah. And uh we almost have to wear hard hats out there sometimes. <laughs> they're, they're just zooming around us. It's, like, oh it's almost scary. You're right. You got any you got any recommendations besides I mentioned the uh, pineapple sage they really like? Any other varieties of things that you can go if you want to attract some hummingbirds to your garden? Any salvia. They just yep. love and hot lips, hot lips salvia. I actually counted how many flowers were on mine last August. Twelve billion eight hundred and forty-two. You know. <laughs> oh, you... <laughs> oh, they're so nuts for that. They won't let me cut off branches to show in my garden talks. They just start dive bombing me, and there's so many flowers. Oh wow. Monarda, monarda. They call that bee bomb. That's so attractive to them. Uh, uh, just looking out the window to see, uh, I should be thinking, oh, I, they love that crinodendron I have. Um, yeah. Oh, so in the wintertime, because that's when people don't know what feeds them the most. So Daphne Odora, they're nuts okay. for that. Um, yeah. 
oh, what's that uh, paper yen plant? Uh, I just can't think of the name, the botanical name right now, but that one, it's got those yellow flowers fragrant. It's in the Daphne family. It'll come, yeah. Chrysantha. Chris, um, no, that's the second name. Anyway, it'll come to Edgeworthia. There we go. Edgeworthia is a big one. I sit in my car when I'm on my way to do something. I have to write my mileage a lot. I just yeah. sit and watch the hummingbirds. And it's the middle of winter, snow on the ground. And uh, Sarka Coca, sweet yeah. box, they're nuts for that stuff, you know. Wow, and wow. Uh, and if you can get Grevillea, so Grevillea Victoria is this plant that's six feet tall. It's got s- sparkling red flowers all winter long. And oh, yes. uh, they are all over that. And then uh, the, all of the Oregon grapes from Asia, so they're Mahonia media. Now they're, I think they're calling them uh, uh, bar, barberries now, uh, berberis. But uh, these plants uh, are so attractive to hummingbirds, and they bloom all winter long with big yellow candelabra flowers. It's just oh, wow. really fantastic plants that bloom and keep the hummingbirds in your garden all winter long. Now, the, the rufus fly back to Mexico, but the annas stay here year-round. Year this only started in the 1970s. They're up oh, really? here all winter, and I have three that never leave my garden. They're here oh, year-round. Wow. So fun, <laughs> yeah. Even in winter, I get buzzed. <laughs> yeah. They, got, yeah, oh, they, yeah. Stay, they stick around long enough. They got names. Oh, oh yeah. Well, there's uh, Nicholas, Nelly, and uh, <laughs> oh, oh, there's Heather. <laughs> Heather, even yes. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, the coolest thing is when you see the uh, <clears throat> the Anna's hummingbirds. They're the big green ones, and their whole head is bright red, and their gorgets bright red right now. They're scary when they come up in front of you. And they're yeah. pretty big, and they do their uh, the uh, love dance. So, uh, so what wow. they do? It's uh, two females will be four foot apart, flapping their little wings about eighty times per second to stand still yeah. in the air. Then oh, wow. uh, a male Anna, and in my case, that's Nicholas most of the time. He comes up between them, gives them both the eye, then takes off from a dead stop in the air, shoots straight up as an arrow about 120 (laughs) feet high, beats his little wings 160 times per second, hits hits speeds over 60 miles an hour, then locks his wings in, goes into a death-defying dive, just... Just is about to splat like a ripe tomato on the patio. He goes and misses the cement by one eighth inch. What oh, us my. guys have to do for love? Oh, la, la. <laughs> so yeah, that's their mating dance. It's cool to see. Oh, oh wow. Birds have yeah. some of the most amazing things they do when it comes to mating and all of that, but that's pretty exceptional. <laughs> that's pretty cool it's i it's see it all break- the time over here too so it's fun risk breaking your neck over an eighth of an inch <laughs> well i've met a few women i might do that for i don't know there you go. <laughs>
That's so awesome. That's awesome. One last thing I wanted to ask you about Cisco is one of the things that mentions in the, your bio there is that um, you love to travel and you do some uh, garden tours around in different countries. Could you talk about some of the different places you've gone and some oh, of the yeah. different tours that you do? Oh, man. Well, I've led 24 international garden tours now. I, I've worked with different people, but I've been working with one guy for a long time because uh, he he sets up the hotels and does all that. We work together to find the good gardens and figure out where yeah. we're going to go. And um, so uh, just this last summer, because of the pandemic, I had all these garden tours planned and they all got postponed. So this last summer I did Scotland, which oh. Oh, was so yeah. Oh, and it, it never rained. It's supposed yeah. to rain every well, day. How lucky for you! Oh, they had this heat thing, and the the gardeners were complaining. They don't even have watering systems in some of their gardens. They get so much rain, and so they were complaining. But the gardens look great because they were killing mm -hmm. themselves. Hail watering, no <laughs> midges. So midges oh, wow. in Scotland are famous. They bite the livid tweet a lot. Even we only had midges one day. It was enough to let me know how lucky we were. <laughs> but uh, so Scotland was wonderful, and, and then we did Belgium and the Netherlands. And there's oh, we went there. It's it's called um, Floriad, uh, and every ten years they have this gigantic garden celebration in uh the netherlands and uh so uh we went there and that that was something to see it's yeah. it's just acres of all kinds you see the newest house plants that you're not going to see in the states for another five years probably you know oh, wow. and uh all kinds of new introductions and and new ideas about gardening and uh not enough shopping that was the only problem they need more shopping because <laughs> I yeah. love garden art. I'm always looking for it. But um, but so that was very really cool. So I did Belgium, the Netherlands, and then I just, not too long ago, I was in South Africa leading a garden tour. That's the second one I've led there. And South yeah. Africa, the gardens there are to die for. They are so good. I remember one woman that was uh, kind of near Johannesburg. It was in Pretoria. And uh, she warned us, we're going through her garden with her. It's a private garden. And she goes, oh, I do have to uh, warn you, there's a cobra in the garden. A <laughs> cobra. I go, a cobra in the garden? She goes, yeah, I let it live there. And I go, why do you do that? She goes, because no, the bad people all around know that cobra is in this garden. They have, there's no way they're going to try and break into my house and come through this garden. But some of the people on the tour are like, I don't want to go to this garden. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just told them, one. hey, I said, if this woman's leading us, she knows where the cobra is. Don't worry, we can go see it. That was spectacular. So, oh, uh, but uh, England, anybody's never gone garden touring in England, you got to go southern England and Cornwall. Yeah. Cornwall yeah. is amazing because they have a tropical climate 
you see puyas and uh all these tropical plants uh palms there's no way we could ever grow here you know so uh so england's really fun you go to you know some of those famous gardens like uh oh uh uh, anyway my brain's wearing out but uh so (laughs) i love that i'm leading one to costa rica this winter i've already led one there um but uh uh Oh man! Oh, Australia and New Zealand are just a diver. Yeah. Oh God, they're so fun. Tasmania is just. Oh, I did a twenty-five mile hike with my wife in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. She talked me into it. Hilly, <laughs> just hilly as could be, and uh, we're at the end of twenty-five miles of hike, and it's about a hundred degrees out, and right. there's three trails, and. Yeah. Uh, my wife mary suddenly can't remember which trail goes back to our rental car i'm like yeah. divorce if if the car's not up there we're getting divorced it's the first time i ever kissed a car so she picked the right trail we're still married that's great oh yeah i would love to be able to go to australia or even new zealand and see the things that they got there. I just actually did an interview with a gentleman who uh, has a YouTube gardening channel out of Australia. And it was really kind of fun to be able to talk about the different things that they will do. I mean, their climate differences are so, you know, and plus completely opposite too. They got to go north to get to the cold. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh... or, or north to get to the warm. And then, yeah, yeah. It's it. it or it's the opposite anyways of what we've got. And it's interesting to think about the different things that they get to grow there. Yeah, I like going to private gardens a lot. I, I love the big public, like Sissinghurst and Great Dixter in England are so terrific, yeah. you know. And if you on my tours, I always try and get the head gardener or the owner of the garden to lead us on a tour. And, yeah. um, and I try and limit so there's not so many people so everybody can hear and everything. But um, but private gardens are so fun. And I'll end with I'll leave you with one last story because yeah. I've been you on here it. forever. You're probably it's trying so. to get me out of here. But no, that's um, all right, not at all. <laughs> but uh, so we are in England, and uh, I never eat lunch. So at lunchtime, my wife Mary and I always hike around or go visit the town while everybody goes and eats somewhere, and. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, I let them find their own restaurants for lunch. We eat together at dinner a lot and stuff. So, yeah. um, so everybody's. I'm meeting everybody at the restaurant they all ate at, and a woman comes up to me and says, "I hear you're leading a garden tour here." I go, "Yeah." She goes, "You want to see my garden?" And uh, whenever mm-hmm. something like this happens, I go, "Yeah," you know, because yeah, you know absolutely. it's going to be fun. So I said, "Sure." So she goes, "Well, uh, there's one condition." I go, yeah, and she whispers in my ear, no one can look at my smalls. And I go, your smalls? She goes, uh, my, what do you call them? My underwear hanging on the line. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I, so I turned to everybody and I go, uh, we could go in and see her garden, but you can't look at her skivvies that are hanging on the line. <laughs> Well, you know what? There's only one thing everybody on that tour remembers from that garden, her skivvies. <laughs> when someone tells you you can't do it, you can't resist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but she was hilarious. 
She gave us like the saying, funnest tour of the whole when you're trip. Up somewhere high. <laughs> you're gonna look down. <laughs> you know, so there's always so many funny things that happen on these trips that you don't expect, yeah. and uh, that's what makes them the most fun, you know. Yeah. And uh, the nice thing, you know, because I travel a lot when I'm not leading tours too. Mary and I were going to Cornwall in September, and we go all over the world. We go to France every spring and uh, go to these big lemon festivals and everything. So. So we're yeah. really avid travelers. We've been practically everywhere on earth. And, uh, but, uh, uh, what was I going to say about that? But well, one of the things is that as you do these trips, when you do the tours, you become so close friends with the other people on the tours. Yeah. So, uh, Mary and I go, we go hang around. We walk our dogs with a woman from Whit Whitby I met when she yeah. went on one of our trips. We go out to dinner with a lot of people that have traveled with us. And uh, yeah. so it's just everybody gets really close because you're really experiencing fun yeah. things together. It's, yeah, so it's getting nice. To, getting to really share a unique life experience in that situation and i think you might be on a, on a really great idea for what you could do for an upcoming book your publisher might agree on is talking about some of them stories from some of those garden tours in these other countries maybe a little travel book or something well uh, my last book oh la la you know it's all short stories about gardening there are yeah. some stories from uh, some of my trips in there, and there, well. one of them is kind of wild, but it's, <laughs> it's really a fun story. Uh, yes. Awesome. They, awesome. they changed the, we went to the French uh, garden tour, or yeah. it's the French uh, garden show. It's in Chamonix, France, and they, the gardeners uh, do these gardens that are out all summer. And yeah. uh, and they work with artists that do put in artwork in it, and the accommodation is to die for. It's really fun. So anybody, if you can ever go to Chamonix, France, or go to the garden show, you will. I guarantee you'll love it. It's very, it's a little hard to understand the French artistry, <laughs> but they tell right. you what it. They give you a description because it can be really wild, out of the way. Uh, we went one year and it was color in the garden next yeah. year. So I, next year I bring my whole group. We walk in and it was uh, eroticism in the garden. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> First thing we saw were the biggest two boobs I've ever seen in my whole <laughs> life. They were like 20 feet high. <laughs> I saw that and I went, uh oh, something odd is going on here. Ooh la la but, for sure, right? Well, oh la la, but we all ended up having <laughs> so much fun. It was the funniest thing that happened on the whole trip. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. The French, <laughs> they're, they're not they're a shy. little more war, they're a little more open over there, aren't they? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. And really, really awesome of you, Cisco, to join with us here on the Let's Get Growing show and share some of these stories. Talk about gardening and your career and all of that. Just a really, really awesome inspiration uh, for me and many other gardeners out there. And if you're watching the show and you haven't met or seen Cisco and any of his 
garden talks or anything like that i'm sure there's some things you can find on youtube you can go find different things that he's got as far as appearances at his website at cisco.com be sure to also check out his books we've got the ask cisco book here that i've got that's been out for a while plus the newer book ooh la la sharing some of those garden stories that he talked about so be sure to go get one of those books and uh maybe uh hopefully down the road we'll get cisco back on the show we'll talk some more gardening well this Thanks has been you. a total blast for me i've really enjoyed being on and uh you got a really great show well thank you i really appreciate it yeah we're just getting started we just started up this season it's something i've been thinking about for a while now and uh, i'll just share though too though is that a couple of years ago I think it was after I talked to you at one of the Northwest Flower and Garden shows. It was kind of one of those things that I thought of as I was doing some live streaming on YouTube. It was like, I need to have a really good garden talk show where I can sit down and talk to people like Cisco. And you were one of those people who was at the top of my list of who I wanted to have on my show <laughs> when I got everything started. So really, really happy that you agreed to come on. And when I got that email from you a few weeks back, I was just like oh my god yes yes <laughs> oh, made great. just made my day and today you know you showing up on our show has really made today for me as well too so thanks again cisco for coming on here and, and uh, sharing all of your joy of gardening with us well thank you so much and everyone out there keep gardening because uh, there's nothing more fun in the world than gardening so i uh, just That's keep right. at it and always remember the last little bit of advice I'll give is that uh, the person who murders the most plants is the true plant expert because you That's learn right. every time something goes wrong. So don't <laughs> let it bother you. Just learn from it and be That's excited because right. you got a spot for a new plant. That's right. If you're not learning, you're not gardening, as I say. And, you know, most of us gardeners who, who, who've who been around doing it have killed probably a lot more plants than we've actually succeeded at. But oh, yeah. it's, that's how we learn, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right, Cisco, I'm going to go ahead and end this show out. And uh, I don't know if you want to stick around for a minute after the show there, um, but uh, I'll see you here really shortly. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Awesome. Awesome. How great is that for Cisco to join with us here on our Let's Get Growing show? I've been a big fan of his, like I've said, for many, many years. And he's just such a joy to uh, get to talk to and to, you know, kind of get some garden advice from, too. I really loved listening to his radio show for many years. It was just, you know, you get to hear him talk about all these different plants and how they grow and just the vast amount of knowledge that he's gained over the years is just really, really exceptional. And we are really, really privileged to be able to have him here with us on the Let's Get Growing show. So again, thanks to Cisco for joining with us and also check the links down below so that you can find him and his books and uh, go check out uh, some more of Cisco. And hopefully again, down the road, we'll get to see him here on the show again later as well too. And uh, also I wanted to say to everybody that a good way to support our show is to support our sponsor, Ivy Organic. And you can check them out at ivyorganic.com. 
where you can get lots of different great products that they have the three-in-one plant guard their fertilizer really great organic uh six macros plus fertilizer i really recommend for the garden as well too and be sure to use our promo code grow 10 g-r-o-w 10 to get 10 percent off of the different things that you can buy there and also be sure to go check out our website at let's get growing dot live to see about all of the upcoming shows and all of our past shows as well keep it uh keep up with everything that we've got growing on here with the let's get growing show and be sure to give this video and this interview with cisco a big thumbs up hit the like button down below as well as the subscribe button to follow along with all of our garden adventures here on the urban gardener channel and also be sure to share with your garden friends and your garden groups. And uh, we'll uh, see all of you here on our next week's show. Thanks for joining us. Later.